This episode of Unreasonable Down is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people in the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. And that's so important, especially in the airport. You got multiple bags, bringing them into the airport. It's nice to have that hookup system to put the small bag with the big bag so you're not flailing around. You have your hands ready to go. DB is making it happen. And I'm teaming up with DB to exclusively offer my listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10, P-O-D-1-0, or going to the link in my show notes. DB! It's time to move on. Time to get going. I'm not going to raise my voice. Yes! I'm really good at basketball for a puppet. What just happened? I drank your milkshake. What's up with those shorts? It's either super good or super bad. Unreasonable Doubt podcast about West Virginia University basketball starts now. Hello from the Dyer Prime studio in Nitro, West Virginia. This is Unreasonable Down. It's a podcast about West Virginia University basketball. I'm Josh Witt. I'm Neil Stone. Off-season episode 17. Neil, welcome back. Lots of things going on that aren't actual things on the field or on the court related. And we haven't talked about realignment stuff. And not that there's a lot to talk about since the first news broke out about Texas and Oklahoma jetting. And not that we're going to get news in the next three weeks about how all the pieces are going to move or not move or add on or whatnot. But Neil, I want to hear your thoughts on on what what your reaction was when you heard the news, Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC? And that all happened in like a week. What was your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I was shocked, just like everybody else. Um, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma, they are, I mean, they're founding members. And, you know, they don't hurt. They don't hurt for, for revenue, especially Texas. So I don't know what the benefit um, – of them, I mean, obviously it's a business move. Obviously, they're finding money somewhere where they wouldn't do it. But um, you know, the rivalries that they've got there, um, Oklahoma's winning um, the football conference year in year out. They're competing in basketball year in year out now. Um, yeah, I, I just I don't understand the competitive side of it why they would make the move. But obviously, there's money in it or something somewhere. That is absolute. That is astute. That money's involved in this for the promise of more money. They wouldn't move if there wasn't more money or confirmation of the same money by moving to the SEC. So I get it, but to say it wasn't shocking, I would be lying. Look again at, at basketball. Yeah, the SEC is not what it used to be in basketball. Um, but is Texas and Oklahoma going to come in there and do any better than they did in the Big 12? I don't see it. 
Well, I think, you know, uh, I can only look at it based on how West Virginia transitioned to the Big 12. And I thought they were suited to transition from Big East, which was a good conference, to Big 12. And they struggled the first two years. So I don't know if that's just because of the change in conference. I don't care what Texas and Oklahoma is going to do in the SEC basketball-wise. I don't care. They'll be fine or they won't be. WVU is what I'm concerned about being fine or not being fine. And WVU, Twitter and social media, everybody's got an opinion where they should land, what they think is going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen now. But what is your preference on what ends up happening to WVU? Oh, I'm, Boy, I'm go ahead. Else. my preference is ACC. That's that's my preference. I would like the Big Ten to give them a consideration, because um, I think I think they could suit well in the in the Big Ten. You know, because it's it's really not again, it's not what it used to be either. I mean, in football wise, you've got Ohio State, everybody else. Um, Michigan's not as good as they used to be to try to compete with them. Or Penn State. Um, basketball wise, whenever we play Purdue, Ohio State, or any of those other teams in the Big Ten, we show we play right with them as well. And those are the better teams in the conference. Um, so I, I'd like I'd like to see one of those two. If we had to go below that, uh, our program's just going to suffer. I believe. And they may suffer if they end up in the ACC. I mean, as far as money they get now versus whatever another conference outside of the SEC or maybe the Big Ten can offer, the money's dropping. And I guess that could increase over time. But you're taking a hit, if it, whether it's status quo or going to a conference besides the SEC or Big Ten, right? Right. Well, basketball-wise, it would, you add us to the conference and, and maybe one other team like a Cincinnati or somebody, you add us to that conference, and I think that conference would be like the SEC in football. We would have battle-tested teams ready for the, uh, ready for the NCAA tournament at the end of the season. Um, you know, SEC is always putting two teams in the Final Four for football, I think that's what we would have in the ACC. I think we would have you know, maybe 10, 12 teams every year coming out of there for the tournament. In my head, that sounds right, Neil. And yet, when you look at what has been the powerhouses in the ACC over a long period of time, they're all in transition or close to transition, right? Coach K's leaving. Roy Williams retired. Bayheim, uh, I'm not... Bayham has been there a long time. That's how I'll put that one. And so these, these the kind of the old guard, not that Syracuse has been killing it in the ACC, but specifically Duke and Carolina, they may continue to be great, but like iconic guys with multiple national championships out of the mix. I don't know if that's a guarantee that those programs continue to flourish. So I'm just saying on paper, ACC is always a good basketball conference, but I hate to say it, SEC, and it's I think it's bias of them of WVU being in that SEC challenge. 
that's not long in the tooth uh, that we're seeing the end of that here soon. But the SEC basketball-wise with Arkansas, Alabama, LSU, just recency bias, and Kentucky down, the SEC was a really good conference in basketball last year. There's so many things. You don't know what other schools are going to move. Uh, When is Oklahoma and Texas going to make their move? Because right now they could be in the Big 12 till 2025. Right. And yet, like when we first hear the news, it's like, no way. And again, we're basing that on when West Virginia left. They didn't wait a long time. It happened really fast. And you would think they'd figure out a way to do this, but these grants of rights things and like these ironclad terms where it's like you got to eat $100 million, then I guess five years is in play. I don't know how they don't make that quicker, but I guess that's in play. Well, I guess, you know, then you've also got, and I don't know if this was just a rumor, if it was even true or not, did Florida State and was it Clemson, did they – did they look into moving the SEC? That was SEC? a rumor. Dude, there's so much, so many rumors. Them to the SEC, right? Like the SEC was right. talking to them. And then, of course, you know, that gets into this This recently. I talked about on the last episode, this Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC alliance. That only reads, hey, Ohio State. Hey, Florida State and Clemson. Hey, USC. Stop with the wandering eye. Let's all just kind of pack up and y'all don't move. Let's just power in numbers. Let's all get together just so they don't get poached or poached from each other. Right. Yeah. Like it's, that's a real thing. And I guess everything's in play. Right. Well, and then what are Dame going to do? Are, are they going to, are they going to finally join somebody for the long term? Like they, you know, they, they tried it out with the ACC a little bit. So are they going to go long-term with that? Since that's what everybody, you know, all these power conferences now, these super conferences, whatever they call it. You've got your preference, Neil. Now, as of August 20th, 2021, what do you think is going to actually happen to WVU? I, I think they'll end up in the ACC. And, and part of the reason um, – you know, some of the coaches who were very vocal about WVU not joining the ACC are no longer in the picture, and mainly from the football side of it. And plus, our ADs got huge ties in the ACC. Um, I think it'll happen. The one thing I don't want to happen, we get into a, a mid-major, you know, um, I, I don't want to be in Conference USA. <laughs> Well, I don't have Conference USA in play today. My guess right now is a Frankenstein of the eight teams remaining and adding our friends in Houston, our friends in UCF and Cincinnati and some other ones. Frankenstein, whatever you want to call big whatever. But it all comes down to can you get into that college football playoff? as far as these conversations go in my heart of hearts. I don't know why the big or the sec would stop at 16 teams. And I could see a scenario where they've got it made. The money's there. They could just 
you know, go to 18 or go to 20. And I really think WVU could end up in the, in the, in the SEC in kind of a weird, oh, Texas and Oklahoma, we, you know, we missed you for like two years. And, and, and I kind of like the, the idea of adding a couple of teams to the Big 12 and, you know, it just to, on the safe, as a safe move. But that's also what we dealt with in the Big East when we lost Miami, we lost Virginia Tech, we lost BC, we lost Pitt, and we try to replace them with Louisville, Cincinnati, and it just it didn't work. You know, then at that point it's well, you know, at that time what was it the BCS? Well, you're not really strong enough for us to really consider you off for BCS. Yeah. And, and then there was like 20 minutes of TCU and like yeah. Boise State being in the Big East. And like, what was there? I have to look. The internet can tell us, but was San Diego State like going to be in the, I remember in the they Big were, East? I believe they were in talks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, oh God, I don't want any of that. And I don't want to talk about realignment for five years in a microphone or nine in a microphone. So whatever they do, I hope that we get quicker than 2025, which is not five years, but is not close either. Right. But we'll see. Let's get into another player profile and random thoughts coming up. Dyer Prime is the lead sponsor of Unreasonable Doubt. Summer's almost here. And you know what that means? Embroidery. I don't know if embroidery has anything to do with summer, but Dyer Prime knows about embroidery and they can help you with your embroidery needs. Embroider a hat. Embroider a polo. Embroider a t-shirt. Think of something that needs embroidered. Dyer Prime can do that for you. Start your summer off with embroidery with Dyer Prime, 304-767-4445, or find them on Facebook or Instagram at Dyer Prime. Random thoughts for this episode of Unreasonable Doubt. Last week, I talked about Malik Curry. Neil's joining me to talk about Jalen Bridges, one of the most exciting guys on the roster. One of the guys with his first year was last year. Neil, what did you think of the freshman campaign for Jalen Bridges? For me, when you told me that we were going to be talking about this, immediately I went to kind of a feel of like Butler and Frank Young, their freshman years, when they got, they got good quality minutes. And their roles on the team at that time, it felt like you can put the ball in the basket. And your weaknesses are not bad enough to where I can't leave you on the floor. So just go out there, get minutes, get experience, and we'll go with it. I like that idea. I also like the idea of like a Tyrone Sally as a freshman, as far Mm -hmm. as the slashing, maybe a better shooter in his freshman year than Tyrone Sally, but definitely had a role. And his role was interesting last year, right? Redshirted his first year at WVU. This was his first time on the court last year. And it was a tale of two parts of the season, right? So first 10 games of the season, six and a half minutes a game, coming off the bench, didn't even get on the floor for the game at the Fog. 
33% shooting, 9% from three. Like, it, like he wasn't even close on any of his three-point shots. Missed all three attempts at the free throw line. So that was his on-the-bench activity. Oscar leaves. Jalen enters the starting lineup. And then he becomes, especially for, like, statistics, Neil, it's like Superman. Like, no, he starts 19 games, 52% from the field, 47% from three, 80% from the free throw line. Like, that's like like 47% from three. That would have led the team, or that would have led the country, him shooting 47% from three. It was crazy, the difference. And he just kept on improving. Yeah, there wasn't really enough basketballs go around if – if Deuce is on, if McNeil's on, if Sherman's on, you know, all three of those guys are shooting. And again, his weaknesses were not bad enough to keep him off the floor. He just needed to keep up with his role. If he got the ball in his hands and was open, take the shot. You know, otherwise, you know, just get the experience. Right. And I, I, I think he did a great job of, of just doing that. Yeah, he definitely let the game come to him didn't force things. He was shooting threes and he was slashing to get three less offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds for the year, which is a crazy stat. Like he, he was always trying to get in there. Like he's posing up at the three point line, the shot is thrown and he's slashing and, and got a lot of offensive rebounds. He ended the season, according to Kim Pomeroy, top 20 offensive rating in the NCAA top 20 and he was number one in conference play in offensive rating turnover rate didn't turn the ball over and three-point percentage like it don't like we didn't think of Jalen Bridges like he made all freshmen in the big 12 and you're right you know, like his role was not like main score or even the second option like he's fourth option kind of getting it where he can get it we all watched it and like, yeah, he went, he was making shots and stuff, but top 20 in the NCAA. Yeah. Yeah. And again, there's nowhere to go, but up for him. Um, and I think playing for Huggins, Huggins has guys that have gone to the NBA um, in our program and previous programs. He'll know how to, how to prepare him, um, especially getting him to play a little more inside maybe with his length. Um, again, I, I think back to Joe Alexander. Now, there's two different styles, but Joe Alexander under B-line was a face-the-basket slash, even though he didn't have a great outside shot like Bridges has. But then when Huggins got a hold of him, he learned how to post up, how to play around the rim. And Bridges doesn't need a whole lot of that for, again, his role on the team and what he may be doing professionally. But he needs to add that to his arsenal, obviously. To your point, Neil, here's the question in sophomore year for Jalen Bridges is what is what is his role going to be? Because Derek Culver gone, Oscar gone, obviously, which gives him his more prominent role. We got a lot of grad, you know, Polly Polycap and Kerrigan. These are these are set screen guys, be around the rim, defensive guys. Is Jalen Bridges going to move into the Emmett Matthews role and play three? Is he going to be in a position like last year where he's he's playing stretch four? Is he like is Huggins going to want him to 
score off the dribble because that's not something that was part of his game last year. I guess that's my question is going into the season, do you have him playing the three or playing a stretch four? I, I feel he's, he will probably play a three. I would, I would assume, um, cause you added a lot more height. You added, what was, what was it? Two big men and transfer. Plus you get control black back plus Osaboyan stayed. Um, I think you're going to have enough height underneath and, and athletic height from what I've seen on video. Um, I think, I think he can stretch out to a three and McNeil and Sherman are your twos. Um, I, I like Sherman coming off the bench. He may not like coming off the bench, you know, using his extra senior year like he's doing, but I like him coming off the bench kind of like, uh, um, Jason, Jason Page, when he used to come off the bench, um, usually you don't have a scorer who can put up 20 points a game coming in, you know, six minutes into the game. Usually it's guys who are giving the starters a breather. Uh, we can just keep scoring with anybody who comes off the bench that way. Um, so I think he can move to a three, and I think he'll slowly move into um, Deshaun Butler's role that he had on that final four team. That's a real question, right? It's like you have all these guys with one more season of eligibility. There's going to be some sacrifices there between those five guys. It'll be interesting to see what Huggins does with those. And so to your point, I think I agree with you that Bridges ends up starting as a three, but I can see in the, in the flow of the game, especially if they have, uh, a better five that's guarding the rim that they run the stretch four, put bridges at stretch four, put Sherman and McNeil out there together and run four out and have Kerrigan or Polycap inside or even Gabe inside and see what happens there. It's uh, but I don't know how you start them at four with the, with the roster that we have. Well, I'd say it also depends on what defense is Huggins going to play this year. Didn't he say he plans on doing something totally different this year? He's he saying he just wants to be able to have options. Like last year, it was only man-to-man. And when they tried to go to a matchup zone or 1-3-1, they got eight alive. So they got they were stuck with man, and they weren't great at man. So I think he wants to have options this year. And we'll see what happens. Like with all the new roster turnover, that's not conducive to being able to know a lot of defenses really well, even though a lot of the guys coming in are defensive minded. So it's going to be interesting, but will it be like a Joe Alexander situation or do you just continue to have this role of we're going to kick to you, make the open three and keep slashing and maybe increase your rebounds. And then, you know, really his weakness last year was defense. He wasn't great, but he was a freshman. It was his first year. Yeah. And playing stretch four, that's not, that's tough from a defensive standpoint. Um, So can he improve incrementally defensively? I'm sure he can. And if he can keep that offensive production, if he can keep up what he did in the last 19 games of the season in that role, that's going to help this team a bunch, even if he doesn't add other things offensively. If he just makes open threes and gets offensive rebounds and slashes, maybe get a couple more rebounds, that's going to serve this team well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about it. 
um, just this, again, I, just like Butler and, and Young, like I mentioned earlier, you, know, you see them out there shooting, you see what they're doing early on, and by the time they leave, you see the leaders that they become, and they're the guys that you go to you know, with the game on the line. That's you know, that's the kind of growth you like to see out of these guys within the program. Neil Stone is back, and that means we've got Neil Stone's hot take coming up in Final Thoughts. Unreasonable Doubt is on the social media. On Instagram, at UnreasonableDoubtWV. On Twitter, at I'm Josh Witt. On Facebook, go to that search bar thing and type in Unreasonable Doubt. Do it! Interact with the show. final thoughts for this episode of unreasonable doubt neil stone my friend neil stone he doesn't have a lot of hot takes thus the segment is called neil stone's hot take neil what is your hot take this week uh for a little local flavor here um i'm gonna say that with all the all the games we've played in the past football basketball they still play it in baseball i'm I'm gonna say W. Marshall is not a rivalry. Um, you know, it always gets called Big Brother, Little Brother, and all this stuff. You know, they've not played in years. And I don't understand why there's still the animosity between the two. I root for both. As, you know, being here in state, I root for both. To me, it's not a rivalry. Um, in football, W's. 12-0 and 0 against them. Marshall's favored a little bit better in basketball, but it's still, you know, a widespread wins and losses for, for WVU. Um, it's probably more of a rivalry in baseball than it is the two major sports. Wow. All right. So that's so – this is a basketball podcast. So I, I went to the TBT with Heard That, Best Virginia – it was definitely a best Virginia crowd and heard that was well represented. And so you've got the people in blue and gold and you had some people when heard that was doing stuff that absolutely had their arms crossed. Like, I don't care. And then some people are like what you're describing Neil, like including myself, like, yeah, I would of the two teams out there. I definitely want heard that or the Marshall team to win. Now, you said neither football or basketball they played in a while. The Charleston game, that always felt like a rivalry game, maybe because it was in Charleston. Uh, but the stakes were WVU, if they win that game, they're supposed to win that game. And if they lose that game, that it wasn't a like a like a like a Maryland football game where it determined how well the season was gonna go. Because sometimes they'd lose to Marshall and just like a, a rock fight, get out of Charleston alive, and then still end up having a good season. But right. those games felt like rival games in the Charleston Civic Center. Well, they were they were always close, and they were <laughs> they were officiated very close. One I've heard 
paid by the foul uh, <laughs> reference to some yeah. of those <laughs> Marshall WVU games. Uh, and it, it's hard to it's hard to get any kind of rhythm going. It's hard to get anything going when the whistle's blowing every ten seconds. Football wise, uh, it, it didn't seem like a ra- rivalry if Marshall never wins. Um, but broader, like recent news, Neil, WVU scheduled a local team, and that team, Ohio University, and they're <laughs> and the first game they're going to Athens. Is that anything but a direct shot at Marshall of like, you're not our rival, and guess what? We're going to play the MAC team instead of you guys. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a slap in the face. That, so disrespectful. <laughs> or not. Um, yeah, that, that is a slap in the face. <laughs> but bringing up Ohio University, Ohio State doesn't play Ohio University every year. I mean, I don't know why people feel like it has to be played. What percentage chance do you have WVU realigning with the MAC? Uh, very little. Very little. For me, very little. <laughs> very little for me, too. But home and homes with directional Michigans, that, I don't know why I'm not against that. It seems like a go to Toledo. No, that doesn't, that doesn't entice you. No. You get Thursday nights to yourself in the football season or Wednesday night. I forget which night the action is. And then you're not excited to play Miami of Ohio? Thursday nights for middle school football. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, that's it for this episode of Unreasonable Doubt. Listen on all the platforms or just pick one. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts. Uh, Overcast, Castbox. Subscribe to the podcast. If there's not a subscribe button, there's a follow button. Hit that. Do either one. That helps the podcast. Until next time, I'm Josh Witt. I'm Neil Stone. This is Unreasonable Doubt. WVU for the 2021-2022 season. They're zero and zero. This is Unreasonable Doubt, WVU for the 2021-2020, WVU for the 2021-2020, WVU for the 2021-2022,